What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app today. Use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. So the main event we've all been waiting for, Covington versus Masvidal, is just one day away. And later in the show, I'm going to tell you who I think is going to walk out of there with the win. Plus, I'll talk about the BMF belt and one of your favorites, Hazmet Shemayev. That's all later, but first, let's begin with this. All right, guys, now I'm joined by Bryce and Cairo, and I will tell you, these guys are major influencers at Marshall Rogan and New better known as the MRI coin in the crypto space, better known as up 400% in 21 short days. Fellas, I wanted to have you on, and I want to hear all of the, the things that MRI, Marshall Rogan Agnew, is looking to do for MMA athletes. But before we get to that, let's fast forward to this weekend, Covington versus Masvidal. How excited for this contest are you both? Uh, well, I am super pumped because... Um you know, in the Marshall Rogan Inu community, uh, of course, we're crypto fans, we're UFC fans, we're MMA fans, and for every main event, we have something called Fight of the Night. So that's where our community actually can get in our Telegram and vote on the Fight of the Night. So for whoever wins the Fight of the Night, those fighters actually get paid an extra bonus purse by Marshall Rogan Inu. Uh, I, I believe it last fight, it was $50,000 to be split. So I believe it's going to be the same. So the energy inside the telegram is absolutely booming uh, as, you know, the community is really able to engage and directly impact um, a fighter's bonus by voting for them. So it's super exciting. Now, I got to tell you, yeah, what... and... please, Cairo, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add on. Uh I know we're, we're super pumped to be able to support a lot of the fighters that are currently on the upcoming card. Uh, we have over 14 fighters already partnered with and, and a number of which we're, we're still looking to, to bring on. Hopefully, uh, even with the, the main event, uh, if we can get in touch with uh, Colby and Jorge, uh, we'll see if we can get them on before Saturday. But the project is... Uh, thriving, and, and we're excited to be able to continue it. Well, I can certainly be of help there. I, I talked to Colby last night. I talked to him again today. If you need a conduit to him, I, I can be your guy. Masvidal's hard to reach. And, and full disclosure, he like got rid of cell phones years ago, and so you got to reach him through WhatsApp, and he will get back to you, but it can be up to two weeks. And Masvidal's just hard to reach, but if you need Colby, I'll, <laughs> I'll help you out with that. Let me tell you guys from my perspective. So I hear about Marshall Rogan and New. And I'm on something the kids call Cameo, and I make a Cameo and I put this out. Well, I will make a Cameo for anybody who asks me. That's the job in the agreement with Cameo. It was only once it hit social media, and I saw how many people were excited and were supporting Marshall Rogan and New that I really started looking into it. There's a fighter. His name is Ian Heinish. I don't know that anybody in this world has ever done something for Ian Heinish. He is at a very tough go of it. He has been told no. He's been thrown in cages. He's been thrown in prison. It's just been a really hard life. Marshall Rogan Anu found out that Ian Heinish needed a medical procedure that he could not cover the expense of. This was a total stranger, but it was one of our community, the MMA community. They stepped up, paid the money. The procedure's done. 
And when I heard Ian Heinish, who again is about as tough of a guy as you're going to come across, he was almost in tears as he told this story because nobody had ever done anything for him, let alone a group of strangers. That's something special, guys. The whole reason I asked you to come on today is I wanted to tell you that. This really matters. You hear about people that want to come out. They want to do good deeds. They're expecting a return for it. To you guys do this blindly for a community that you appreciate really is special. And I, for one, just want to tell you thanks. Well, it honestly brings me joy uh, as well. And I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, normally, you know, you'd say you're, you're welcome. But I, I'm just grateful and honored to be part of a community who can do this. Uh, in my previous career as a chiropractor, I actually worked in some regenerative medicine clinics in Florida, and we offered stem cell there. And I just saw, you know, the real life-changing impact it can have. Uh, and these are elective procedures. They're expensive. Uh, they're not covered by insurance ever. So he was actually on a Twitter spaces that we are hosting, and um, he started talking about, you know, his struggles and his issues uh, that actually developed after a fight. I think he was fighting Bobby Green. And he said after, I, I believe he said, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure um, he had a concussion. And he said he started developing these neurological issues and different things after. So on a spaces, the team actually DM'd me and they said, offer him help. Tell him to message us. Uh, and, and see what we can do. So they got a hold of Bryce, and then he was able to talk to the rest of the team, uh, and they chose to pay for his entire procedure. Well, when you guys got involved with this, first off, how long were you in the crypto space? I mean, this is very sophisticated and complicated to get on the exchanges and have something that actually works, uh, You know, let alone to have the fan appeal. And I'm just talking about the masses. You talked about Twitter spaces a moment ago. I was on that a week ago. It was absolutely packed. I picked up 12,000 uh, Twitter followers from the community after going on that. So this is something that it's a language of itself. Many people will be intimidated uh, when they hear terms like MetaMask, when they hear terms like MRI, when they hear terms like crypto. But isn't it worth, won't, can't we all agree, it's worth taking the time to learn. Yes, fellas? Absolutely. And, and Bryce, do you want to go ahead with your background and, and tell them your background in crypto? Yeah, and so I'm currently the, the lead developer behind uh, MRI. Uh, we're, our project, you know, is only as of tonight, 6 p.m., if I'm correct, we'll officially make it three weeks old since we would have launched. And so that is relatively uh, a, a short time in societal time, but in the crypto space, that can be uh, a year's long um, worth of effort, and especially with what we've been able to accomplish in these three weeks with over 200 plus fighters partnered with um, all the way from the UFC to PFL to Bellator and even smaller regional scenes like LFA. Uh, the fact that we've been able to support um, treatments for individuals such as Ian Heinish and Emily Whitmire uh, and as well as even, I believe, uh, just recently, uh, we had sponsored Fabio Charant um, and was able to arrange for him to get a new car, uh, which I believe he, he purchased just the other day, you know? So MRI is doing incredible stuff. And I know it's definitely taking off a lot more than what we would have expected when we first launched this project, but it's incredible to see the amount of uh, change we've been able to bring. And okay. Can, I'm let, just happy to be a part of Can it. I cut you off right there? This is what I really wanted to ask you, but I thought it was rude. But since you opened the door, I am going to ask. 
you've got to be stunned with the success of this, right? I mean, you must be filled with joy that you came with an idea that complete strangers around the world are jumping in on. I mean, if you were to tell the story honestly, you've got to be a little surprised at the success of MRI. Is that a fair statement? Well, when the team first launched and then I discovered the project and uh, we were talking about it, you know, um, that that's typically how a project starts. A team launches, this was stealth launched, which means that they were building it without anybody knowing. It's not like this was a known project. Then it came out on the market. Uh, it's really exciting because then you discover it. Then I reached out to the team. I started talking to them. And they told me the vision for this project. And it started out as a meme coin, which, which means meme coins are typically um, related to animals or celebrities. So Marshall Rogan is, is Joe Rogan's dog. So they told us the mission. And I was just, first of all, uh, amazed that they were actually doing something to help fighters in a meme coin. And the concept was really revolutionary. But when they first gave their targets, they said, we would love to hit 10 million market cap. Uh, and I said, guys, we need to recalibrate our thinking here. We are at least going to hit 100 million market cap. And that was my goal within a couple months. You know, that happened less than a month. It actually happened when I was sleeping last night. And all of us that are helping the team, community, uh, yeah, we're absolutely blown away because you typically don't see something like this that's stealth launched. And meaning, you know, it wasn't marketed before. People didn't know about this. So for something to just kind of come out of nowhere, and then a week later, you have Bobby Green talking about it on the UFC, giving a shout out to this and being able to talk to you is just blowing all of our minds. I mean, it's it's shocking. Well, it is very exciting. I will tell you, you know, in the crypto space, many people call it the Wild West. It's a little bit misunderstood that we will actually run towards regulation. It's just not in place yet. And the only reason I say that is to see something happen this quick. And you are right. It is, you're, you're three weeks in, 21 days. It's shocking, but people that make claims don't generally back them up. Ian Heinish has already had the procedure. Fabiano already has the Jeep in his driveway. Bobby Green already got the money set to his account. I don't know that I've ever come across guys as honest as the team behind MRI. Truly. Yeah, and that's, uh, of course, I'm not a developer. I don't create projects. Um, I just... I guess as cheesy as it sounds, I'd be known as an influencer account. Basically, your devs and your influencers, this is really cheesy, but it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? We come together and the influencers really reach out to their networks. We help market. And first and foremost, you know, I'm a trader. So I cannot, I mean, I could go on and on and on about so many teams and projects I've worked with. I will say this. In this space, especially, as you mentioned, using Uniswap, using MetaMask, again, these coins start on a decentralized exchange. That means anyone can launch any project, and there's a lot of scams out there. So you really don't know what to believe, uh, and you don't know if you can trust a team at first when any project you get in, unless they previously have a historic you know, background and, uh, and have a reputation. But again, when you are buying a stealth launch coin, you don't know anything about them. So to really see their integrity, to see them paying out these amounts. Um, you know, when Ian Heinish came on, 
they DM'd me and they said, tell him we want to hook him up like right now. Get get a MetaMask address and let's send him to ETH so he can pay for his procedure. Uh, that really gave me a lot of joy. And that's when I decided, you know, I'm really going to devote all my time to helping these guys because they're honest, they have integrity, and they actually have a mission. So while it should be very common in the crypto space, uh, it is just not the case yet. But, you know, when you have that honesty, that reputation and integrity, now we're seeing it. We got on BitMart. That's a centralized exchange. That means anyone can sign up anywhere and it's it's easier to buy the crypto, right? So you only get listed on those exchanges if you do have an honest team and you do what you say you're going to do. So it, it's a pleasure. And just to add on, I think a lot of projects, uh, they, they tend to promise a lot of stuff. They like to talk the talk. Uh, the one thing that we're committed to with MRI is to be able to walk the walk. Uh, we, we made it a mission to not only uh, say what we want to do, but to over deliver, to, to be able to commit to what we want. And that is to support the fighters. And that is not just uh, partnering with them for their upcoming fights, but to help them with their healthcare treatment, to help them uh, get to their training camps, to, to pay for their management, you know. It's, it's stuff like this that we're committed to with MRI, and it, it's just incredible to see all that we've been able to accomplish so far. Sure, and I, I will tell you, as crypto is catching on again, it's a language in and of itself. Some some people listening to this are going to be Googling and searching it out tonight. I encourage you to do that, but I will just share in a personal perspective, I get hit up every single day from somebody in crypto. I've never invited anybody on this show before, and I never would have invited you guys if I didn't know that I could honestly tell my audience they can be trusted their mission is real. It's not just words. It's already happening. You guys are very unique. I appreciate your time, and I just wanted to tell you, thank you. Well, it's an honor to hear that from you. Uh, you're obviously a UFC legend, MMA legend, and it's my personal belief, and I think everyone would agree, you have the most prominent voice in the UFC and in MMA across the world. So uh, <laughs> that, that's a huge honor and to even be on here and to have your support and to talk about something like this uh, is, is a real blessing. Well, that's tremendous. I appreciate it. Let's stay in touch, gentlemen. Thank you, Chael. And honestly, I think the, the note that I want to leave off of, I think you said it very eloquently on our spaces the other day. If you can't handle a 3x dip, you don't deserve 100x. Um, and, and I definitely want to live by that motto with what we're doing and hopefully we'll be able to continue with the project. So the welterweight division will take center stage Saturday night and coming up next, I'm going to talk about a fight at 170 pounds that's actually happening next month. But first, a word about our friends over at DraftKings. When Covington and Mosbrall step into the octagon this Saturday night at UFC 272, DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for all new customers. Bet just $1 on the main event and get $100 in free bets no matter what. Could be a first round knockout, majority draw, or double knockout resulting in a no contest no matter what the outcome, you still get paid. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still feel the thrill of UFC 272 with DraftKings free-to-play pools. Everyone can enter free pools with $10,000 in prizes, answer a handful of questions, 
like how long the fight will last and who will walk out the winner. And follow along to track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Throw down just $1 on the UFC 272 main event and get $100 in free bets no matter the outcome. That's code CHAIL this Saturday night at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. 21 and over, minimum age and location required vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at phone number 467-369. All right, Burns versus Chemayev is official. That's going to go down on April 9th. Why are they fighting? And you can ask yourself until you're blue in the face, but if you don't have an answer, you don't have a big fight. That simple. Not all fights will have an answer to that question. And many people in a leadership position will concede right up front. I don't know where the fight is. It doesn't matter. He's under contract. He's under contract. Get them together. I need somebody to do it. All right. There's 11 fights every single Saturday. If the, if you ask yourself that question of why are we fighting, and you don't have an answer that comes to you very easily, that you can then relay to the audience to let the audience know what this is about. No problem. You just don't have a big fight. Do you see the difference? We need an answer to this question. We might be able to guess what it is. We don't have a lot of information on Chemayev. Chemayev has been a media darling that for some reason we're keeping very secretive. Chemayev is even now doing his own thing on YouTube to get his message out. But within those videos on YouTube, we still don't know a damn thing about Chemayev. It's, it's very peculiar I don't think that it's done on purpose. I think it's just poor storytelling. Chemayev and the information we have is that he is now going to fight at 170 exclusive, which makes Israel Adesanya's statement from the weekend look even better. Adesanya's message on Chemayev had nothing to do with Chemayev didn't deserve it or couldn't even get it done. He said, and I quote, I'll worry about him when I need to worry about him. Well, Adesanya's right. What would the point be in wasting your breath as the sitting champion of the world on a guy in a different weight class? Fair enough, but we now do know we have got at least got some familiarity with what Shemayev's going to do and where he's going to do it, which is 170 pounds. But if you put that in conjunction with the only thing that Dana has told us about Shemayev as of late, which is he's four fights away, which I interpret to mean 15 months away, from having a shot of being in the discussion with Kamar Usman, then what's the point of putting him in a feature match against a perennial number one contender? Like, both things can't be true, at least for me. They can't both be true. If you're going to be the one guy not named Kamar Usman that can beat Gilbert Burns, you got to get something for that. And I know what's on the line for Gilbert. Gilbert Burns, who just wants to return to a world championship match and is willing to go through anybody at any time, which agreeing to this bout is proof thereof, if he loses, those aspirations are now evaporated. 
Gilbert Burns would not make believe that he can lose to a guy that's still another three fights away from getting a shot and that he's somehow going to get the shot. I mean, do you see the problem? So we see what Gilbert's putting up. What's Gilbert getting for that? And it makes it a very tough question. If Gilbert does beat Chemayev, the other side of this coin, is he guaranteed a world title fight, right? The whole thing gets very weird, and 170 has been a frustrating division for a period of time. It is iron on top of iron. It is absolute studs, which got recognized in one way, which is making their champion, Kamar Usman, the pound-for-pound pound, number one ranked fighter in the world. I don't see anything else good that's happening with that division. I see guys for four years who've done what's called squat on your spot, an expression that I didn't even know what it meant. And it means the top-ranked guys want to sit there and hold that ranking and not give anybody else an opportunity to do it. They don't want to get out there and fight. We're all supposed to be happy and look the other way that George Masvidal is going to fight Covington on Saturday. But nowhere was the question even asked, hey, wait a minute, Masvidal, you were supposed to fight Leon. You're the one that pulled out of the fight with Leon and you're going to fight five months before Leon, right? I mean, the whole thing gets weird. We all just chose to look the other way like we didn't even see it. All right, fair enough. I know what those two are fighting for, and they got a sold-out arena, and they're going to have a big fight. So we're good. Our work's done there. But that same thing can't happen. We can't take the same concept of not being able to answer. The one question that every big fight, the one ingredient that every meaningful fight has is, what are you fighting for? And there will be plenty of guys of those 11 fights, of those 22 athletes, that won't have the foggiest answer. But they're also on the undercard. They will not become main card until they can answer that question. Most of them don't even know that they need to be in pursuit of answering that question because they don't follow their own sport. They do not follow their own industry. That is most fighters. They're going to get up and run, and they're going to jump a rope, and they're going to throw punches at a moving target at some point in the day, and they'll probably even get a protein shake mixed in there. They'll probably go get an ice-cold bath called a ice bath for their recovery. They don't know a goddamn thing about the business. They're willing to try anything that somebody once upon a time told them might make them better at the sport, except for actually learning the industry. And as much as I'm saying that that's an undercard fight, that's just the truth. And that might sound rude, but that's the truth. You're under contract, he's under contract. We called you guys to put you together. Just go do it. The arena's going to be filled up. We're still working out the angles for the cameras. We're still working out the lights. We're making sure our feet, and, and that's what we're going to use you for, and you're going to get a check at the end of the night, but you haven't done a good enough job telling anybody the story. Most guys don't know that they need the story. Now, as much as I'm saying that that's the truth for most guys, this is a feature match. Again, I'm on Shemayev and Burns here. This is a feature match. This is going to jerk the curtain only to a world championship fight. So if you're on a main card, and in this case, what I'm calling a feature match, which just means you're the co-main or the main, you've got to have a story to tell. There is no story without the five W's of who, what, when, where, and why. i got to know why these guys are fighting. What is on the line? How is this a significant contest? If Chemayev gets the jump on Burns, who nobody has been able to do, Burns has cleaned that division out from everybody except for the sitting champ. If Chemayev can beat him, but I got he's got to fight three more guys? Four was an arbitrary number. Three is close to four. Okay, he's got to fight two more guys. Ah, two is pretty close to four. Okay, he's got to fight one more guy? I'm light on that idea. I'm very light on it. And Gilbert's only reward for being a guy in the division that's got the balls to go out and do a fight like this is that he gets called to do more fights like this? That's not right. Gilbert Burns has the right to be rewarded for his toughness and for his willingness. And that reward can't just be that you get called to do more of that. There has to be a payoff. 
I'm giving a good look at this thing to be a number one contenders match. I don't have another one to point to. Vincenzo Luque absolutely matters. I don't know who he's fighting next. I don't know what's going on. Blahal Muhammad is willing to do anything that it takes to get his name out there, and he is rosing up the card, and he's now a co-main and main event fighter exclusively. He's doing everything right, but he still needs an opponent. I don't know if there's two guys you could put together based on the players on the board. I'm taking Leon off. I'm taking Kamar off. I'm taking Colby off. I'm taking Masvidal off, only because they're booked. I'm putting them in head-to-head -head competition with anybody still available that could be a bigger or more meaningful match than Chemayev and Burns. If they, if there's not a bigger and more meaningful match that can be made, then that's the number one contenders match. But it should be. It should be. If Chemayev can beat Burns, it has to be for something. If Burns is going to take the risk, he's got to get something. Can we agree on this? So Chemayev and Burns is set UFC 273, but let's focus on this weekend's 272. Now, flying under the radar is another welterweight fight that I'm really interested in, Kevin Holland versus Cowboy Oliveira. Kevin Holland versus Oliveira, guys, before I get into a prediction, let's discuss this fight. I am very in to certain guys. I'm a fan. I have the, and same with you, but I'm attracted to a certain kind of guy. If there's anything in this world I don't like, particularly in the tough guy business, it's a bully. I think you guys can agree to that. And a bully can be very clearly identified as somebody who go, fights guys that he believes he can beat. I came just from a different school. I used, even used to wear a shirt. It was from the Raw team, created by Rico Ciparelli. And on the back, it said three things. Anyone, anytime, anywhere. That wasn't just tough guy talk. That was a wrestler's mentality. Knowing full well, I'm not going to win all of these. I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to compete in the field that I've agreed to participate in. I've just always thought that was important. I like to know a guy that's hungry. I like to know a guy that's willing to sacrifice. I like a guy that can deal with adversity. And I was very drawn to Kevin Holland. And he's now shown he can deal with adversity. He's now shown that he can change. He absolutely passed the test of does he want an opportunity? The opportunity in the field with the organization that he once upon a time signed a contract with and said and swore that he wanted to compete in, he proved it, and he did. And Kevin Holland should have lost those five matches, by the way. There is not one of those five matches that he won within that year that he was a lock to win. I would have to go, I know four of them he was the underdog in. I would have to confirm whether he was the underdog in all five. He did not belong in there with Jacare Sosa. Period. Nobody would disagree with me. But that includes Kevin Holland. He walked out there and he did it anyway because it was an opportunity, at worst case, to get better. I like him. I'm just sharing your story with why I like him. After he did those five matches, I personally called him to take on Rumble Johnson in a grappling match on four days' notice. Holland accepted. Now something, I think he got like a fight book or something. That match ended up not happening. I can just tell you, I know behind the scenes, nobody would have heard it, how willing this guy was to compete. And when it came time to negotiate, the only thing he asked for is an extra plane ticket so his wife could come. How you not going to like a guy like that? That's a cool guy. Now, blueprint gets created. This happens to every fighter. Even the undefeated ones start to get closer. There is nothing more helpful in sport than having video footage. Back in the day when you would watch a fight, you either had to be there live 
or you would listen over something called a transistor radio. But guys in boxing would go undefeated for 10 and 11 years. Very common. Six and seven years, no problem. But those guys had a couple of tricks. Nobody could see them. Nobody could scout them. Those guys were still human beings. They had points where they were getting touched as well, but you couldn't break it down. So video really helped. And I bring that to you because a blueprint got created for Kevin Holland, which was take him down. Kevin Holland understood this blueprint was out there, understood what the opponents were going to do to him, and understood that he needed to work on wrestling. Now, this is the only place that Kevin and I butt heads. I did not see a deficit in the defensive wrestling of Kevin Holland that he identified. I saw a cooperation with Kevin Holland, who still clings to the days of jiu-jitsu and thought he could do his finest work off his back, and it's hard to tell a guy like that he can't when he just got done knocking out Jacare Souza from that very position, right? It was just tough. So you kind of got to sit him down. You got to get real intellectual. You got to bring in 10 years of fighting. Show him how many meaningful fights have ever finished from a submission from the back. I mean, you kind of got to break it down, but you're still going to have him go, yeah, but I'm the exception. As a matter of fact, here's me beating Jacare from that very position you're telling me to avoid. It was just tough. Just tough. But I never saw any kind of a weakness within Kevin Holland's defense. He's tall. He's long. That comes with great advantages. With your reach, absolutely it does. But it comes with a deficit, which is there's more to grab. And you can get down into position low enough, faster and easier. So those legs are going to be attacked. He's going to have to learn some defenses. Now, he goes out to AKA, the home of Daniel Cormier, to go work on this very thing. Another reason, I like him. That's a cool move. That's a sacrifice. That's somebody who's aware, who sees a hole within the boat and wants to plug it. We like that. Take it on Oliver, interesting match. Oliveira is one of the more underappreciated guys. I really do feel that. Oliveira can compete with anybody, and he's never going to be an easy night. Oliveira is another guy who was a victim of getting studied. He was very heavy into submissions, predominantly knee bars. He was very good at finding them or using that position to create a scramble. But over time, you start to break him down. You start to see what he's looking for. You start to understand him a little bit better. So these guys are really in the same boat. It's hard to imagine anybody beating Kevin Holland unless they can get that top position and gain favor with judges. The only reason that's hard to imagine is we haven't seen it happen before. Nobody's gone out there and beat Kevin Holland up on his feet. Nobody's hit Kevin Holland so hard that he goes down and he can't get up and finish a contest. That just hasn't happened. Now, Kevin, I believe, is in a very good frame of mind, which is be on my feet or be on top. Being on the ground is okay. Being on bottom, I want to avoid. I think he's of that frame of mind. But that's what he needs to come out and show us. It's going to be very hard to get through to him, I think. I think it's going to be very hard to tell a guy, statistically speaking, you're extremely unlikely to win a fight from your back when he won five in a row over maybe the, the best, most decorated grappler sports ever seen in Jacare Sosa. I think it's hard. Kevin's a human being. Kevin has the right to be confident. He has the right to love his art. He has the right to want to show it off. He was a brown belt under Travis Luter. He was looking to get a black belt. I mean, he's got his own things. But he has told us all publicly that he has identified a weakness within his defensive wrestling, which I see. I think the biggest gap there is just, I don't care where his hips goes. I don't care where his forearm goes. I want to see him not cooperate. I want to see him make guys earn that position. If that's where you've got to fight from, go ahead and fight there. It's not as though that art doesn't work. Jiu-jitsu is a wonderful art. 
It's just unlikely to win a fight from your back under good level competition. Now you're taking on Cowboy Oliveira, who is a true Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Having a black belt in BJJ is something to be very proud of. Uh, having a real one, which means you got it in Brazil, it's another level. And again, if it just comes down to the likelihood of finishing a guy from your back who is a true Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, it's less likely. So it does come down to positioning. I love that Kevin is aware of this. Kevin is saying all of the right things. Kevin at this weight class does uh, definitely create some parity. I think Kevin Holland is still a main event fighter. No lower than a co-main event. That's what I think. He's now fighting to get his spot back. But there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of reason that you should be interested in this. And then you've got the real tough talk, right? One of these guys does come closer to regaining that main event. That's true. One of these guys is likely walking to the octagon for his last time. Now, before I give you my official prediction for the main event, I want to revisit a topic I love talking to you guys about, the BMF belt, which Dana White recently commented on. So, I'm bringing you days old news here, but it is very relevant. Dana goes on the Pat McAfee show, and they just have a conversation, very entertaining, but one of the things that came up is Pat McAfee said to Dana, why are you not putting up the BMF belt? Now, that's like the first guy to ever ask Dana about the BMF belt. And I feel, I was so happy that somebody did because I feel like I'm by myself over here yelling from the rooftops and nobody can hear me down below. Like, you guys haven't really backed me up on this either. But I know you liked the BMF belt. I was there the night that it had, I mean, it was this massive attraction and event. Dana responded and said, I probably should have, particularly since George Masvidal has it. Maybe moving forward, on pay-per-views that don't have a title fight, we should bring it back. Now, that was about as light as you could answer a question. We got absolutely no commitment there, but we at least have somebody bringing up the topic, and we don't have the president saying what he said last time, which was, this is a one-off. That's where we left off on this, guys. I mean, when I tell you that the media stepped aside and nobody is putting to Colby Covington, nobody, Kamara Usman, nobody has insisted that belt be put up. And we left off with Dana, Dana saying, hey, it's fun. Everybody loved it. Great attraction. One night only. Okay, well now we're all of a sudden we it turns into, yeah, I probably should have put it up. What would that look like? Just for fun, what would that look like? The rule is it has to be stated ahead of time. That's just the rule. You may like that or you may not like that. I've seen people come out and do a proper lineage to a, a title. That's a fun conversation, but it goes into the same bucket of the greatest of all time. It is just a conversation. You can't prove the lineage. The belt must be put up. And this comes back from our brethren in the professional wrestling days. Ric Flair was the NWA champion, and he would get pinned one, two, three on television in front of the world. But he'd still be the champion because it was a non-title match. So you may like it or you may not like it, but I have heard some of you say that Masvidal is not the BMF champion, that because he lost to Usman, Usman is the BMF champion, and I got to stop you and go, wait a minute, I, I, technicality for sure. But an extremely relevant technicality, the belt was either up or it wasn't. And it wasn't. Now, why do I go into that? 
for this very reason. There's only two ways you can do a belt that we've ever seen in combat. Now, we all agree in combat we're going to fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot. But if history does mean something, we got two ways to do this. The belt that I've always liked the most prior to the BMF, I like that. That just caught on, that just worked, not to mention they found the two BMFs. It's just everything came together. The belt that I liked the most was the super fight. And a couple of people from the super fight era have attempted to claim that they are a super fight champion. They're wrong. There is no lineage with the super fight belt. It was a one-night-only super fight. Whoever won left with the belt and was the super fight champion of that night. The second the sun goes down and comes back up, it's over. Very relevant that you understand this. Because Dana said George has the belt. Now, if we're going to hold Dana absolutely literal to the words that he said, and in this form, we are. That means that George did not lose it to Masvidal because it was not up for grabs. That means George cannot lose it to Colby because it is up for grabs. And if that belt is to be contested in the format of a lineage, one half of the next BMF championship has to be George. That's not what the history of belt says. Because you can also defer back to the super fight belt, which is the one that I loved. It's a super fight. We all knew what that meant. And they never screwed us once. They never just brought... Two guys in and go, this is the super fight. No, it was a super fight. It was a mega fight. It was a top contenders. It was two former champions. It was two huge stars. Whatever it was, it was a super fight. We all understood it. But if we're going to go in that vein, that means Masvidal does not have to be present. That means you could bring in Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. That could be a super fight. Which means you could bring in two brand new principles, and that could be for the BMF belt. And the BMF that George won was a one night only, which would explain to the viewing audience why there was not a lineage and why it did not go on the line. Those are your only two options, unless we go and create a third one. I'm talking about historically speaking, those are your only two options. Dana somewhat did clear that up by stating that George Mosvidal has the belt, which would lead you to believe if he does resurrect the championship to continue on in some form of a lineage that George would be half of it. I'm just submitting for you. It doesn't have to be. There is another way. But I do think that's super fun. I think this would be a great uh, case in point. I think Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, they fought not only once but twice in pay-per-views, and they were the mega pay-per-views of the year, would have qualified for a super fight. If we're going to replace the super fight with BMF or whatever verbiage we want to use, we're still talking about the same thing. We're talking about something very special and very significant that does not represent the undisputed or the interim champion, but it deserves to be crowned off in an evening with an award that is recognizable by the community, which is us. So I don't know how far we've got down the road. I really do. I Sometimes I feel like you guys leave me hanging. I keep bringing up the BMF. I want the BMF belt put up. You guys loved it. We all loved it. I'm demanding that it does be resurrected. Nobody is co-signing that statement. I want you to. But Pat McAfee asked a question of the decision maker who said, yeah, I probably should have done that, considering Masvidal has it. If that's the case... That doesn't mean on Saturday this thing goes up for grabs unless there's an official announcement and an ad uh, amendment to the agreements. But aside from that, it looks like we might get the BMF belt back. 
then we will have to figure out, is that going to be a lineage? Are we going to see what we've already seen, which is it has to be announced, or therefore it's not a title match, or is it just going to be the way to cap off an evening? Where a guy who is the BMF champion may not be involved, may not even be a participant involved in the next BMF match, which in fairness would be a really good way to do it. It would, because don't forget about the weight categories. Before you think that's that's wrong, to have a BMF title and not allow Mazdawell to be involved, Stipe doesn't even have a chance to win the damn thing. I mean, you see the problem? 45-pounders, Volkanovski doesn't even have a chance to win the one thing. So now you have a division, in this case being 170, which was very arbitrary to the thought process, that happens to have another crowning moment that no other division has. So you see where it would solve a problem if we did make it a one night only. Here you go. Here's how we're crowning the evening. But then we go to a different division. The more opportunity, the more better, guys. And there's only a few things that we understand about this sport. We know what a punch is. We know what a kick is. We understand what a goddamn belt means to a combat athlete. Quit leaving me on this one. Back me up for a change. Bring back the BMF. My official prediction, Colby Covington versus George Mosmo. Guys, I'm taking Covington, but you want to know who's going to be the most right in this whole thing? It's not the people that said Colby's going to win. It's not the people that said Masvidal's going to win. Frankly, that's between those boys under the rules in the octagon on Saturday night. The people that are going to look the smartest in the room are the ones that listen to me. When I told you from Jump Street, these two don't know each other. When you get two guys that do know each other, you got to understand what that means. Because what that looks like time and time again... You go in with the same belief of, okay, he's going to be able to deal with this. He's going to set him up by looking for that. that. You go into it thinking that. When the contest is over, nothing happens. The fight was a dud. You wished you had that portion of your life back. It happens every time. Why? Because they knew each other. We see it all the time. We see football players. One guy gets drafted. He's got to come back and play his old team. Isn't it an exciting game? He ends up shutting it down or he's blocking or he's on defense. When two guys hear or believe I know him, what that does psychologically within the athlete's mind is it sends up a flag of defense. I know what he's going to do means I can start. You now have a defensive mindset. I can shut him down. I will be ready for it. I will counter it. It's never from an offensive standpoint. I can't tell you why. I can just tell you, historically speaking, two guys that know each other turns into a crap match. These guys don't. You're wrong. 80% is the maximum speed any good fighter will ever use in striking in a gym. These are two great fighters. These are two champions. So I know they follow that code. 100% is the pace that you will grapple at, which they did. One of them in Colby is wrestling heavy. One of them in Masvidal is not. So the way those workouts looked is going to be very contrary to reality when both speeds are at 100. So I, that alone right there, because you got to understand, do those workouts not matter? Hell yes, they matter. Goddamn right they matter. You just got to know what you're seeing. You got to know what you're looking at. When you have a preferred striker against a preferred grappler and only the grappler gets to go his hardest, you have to know what you're looking at. You watch those workouts, you got to make exceptions there. you got to be able to break things down. You guys want to hear a quick story? Dan Henderson, one of the all-time greats. Would you agree? 
double pride champion, light heavyweight and heavyweight. I apologize, and middleweight. Defeated Noguera, who went on to be the world heavyweight champion. Defeated Fedor Emelianenko, who's viewed as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Dan Henderson, if there was ever a pound-for-pound list, that's your guy. Not only because he could do it, because he actually did. He covered the spread of three different weight divisions. I don't know how many times I saw Dan Henderson win a round in practice. I don't know. I don't think I would need both hands to count them. In all the years and all the time, I don't know if I would even be able to come up with 10 times I saw him win a round in practice, but we'd all be training, we'd all be ready, we'd all have a fight. Some of us would win, some of us would lose, they'd be hard, they'd be close. He would go knock his guy out in less than a minute. He did it time after time after time. And I only bring that back to the example of what you're doing in the training room when you got this big old H-bomb, but you don't want to hurt this guy because he's your workout partner. You want to take care of him because it's a polite thing to do, but you also like to see him tomorrow so you can get to practice him tomorrow. The way Dan would be forced to hold back. If you were a scout and you came into Team Quest and looked around, he's not the guy you were going to sign. But when it went into competition, he covered three different weight classes to the highest levels. Championship levels. I'm just offering you that one example. You have to know what you're looking at. See, okay, there was the opening. He changed elevation as he stepped in. He could have knocked the guy out. He didn't. You have to know what you're looking at within practice. Robert Fallis, Ryan Parsons, guys that were in charge of Dan's training, never left there go, well, we did five rounds today and Dan lost all five. No, 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 no. They could look beyond that. He stepped in. He saw the opening. He didn't use it. He had it. He had it three different times in that one round. In that one round, Dan could have knocked that guy out three times, but he didn't. It's relevant, guys. I'm doing my best to explain this, and even as I hear myself, I don't want to lose you on this. There's openings that the striker would have that he cannot, there's triggers he can't pull. When you're reducing down to 80%, not only does that mean what you're seeing with the hands and feet isn't what it would be in a live situation, it changes the grappling completely. There's openings, there's a range that you have to be in to grapple from. Same as striking. You must be in that same, we call it an arm's reach, or you're too far to grapple. The grappler's not scared to step in what we call the danger zone because he knows some things are coming at 80%. It's just totally different. These workouts where they think they know each other, not to mention it was three years ago at best, not to mention Covington since leaving that gym, and no disrespect to the ATT, but Covington has done his finest work. In all fairness... If you were just juxtaposed, the same opponent, which is Kamar Usman, Colby Covington, the skills that he had at his new gym was more impressive than the Colby that fought him the first time. That's true. And moreover than anything, they were different weight classes. Everybody has a number. Most of us never find out what it was. And I told you guys about this with Daniel Cormier. I used to work out with Daniel Cormier all the time at 205. Boy, was he something special, for sure. I grabbed him one time. I didn't work out with him. I grabbed a hold of the sumbitch when he was heavyweight. I never played with Daniel Cormier again. That was his number. He found that 246, that 248, that 251. That was his number, not 205. It's the truth. Daniel was fourth in the Olympic Games at 211 pounds. He'd have been the champion if there was a weight cast called 225 pounds, but it wasn't his number. Everybody has a number. Very seldomly do you ever get a test that. You get locked into a contract. Most of the time, you won't even know what I'm saying is true. You'll only know if it's true. If you happen to stumble upon it, go, oh my God, this is where I do my best work. George Masvidal has done his best work without exception. Two-time, I said two-time, number one contender. BMF contestant, BMF reigning champion at 170. 
That's where he needs to be. That's just the truth. Team Covington does not know what George feels like at this weight class. End of story, guys. But I'm taking Colby. Why? Well, I don't think you're going to have a straight-up fight here. I don't think you're going to have an adjudication of the skills here. Colby Covington is one of the most accurately named monikers within our industry. Chaos. It is chaos when he fights. He is a straight-up, bad-intentioned brawler. He's going to punch you while trying to grab you. He's going to take you down and hope that your hand breaks. There's the, he has terrible intentions. It's very hard to plan for that guy, but it's also an incredible volume. When John Anik talks about Colby Covington, John always will bring up the volume, the output, the pace, the cardio, any way you want to say one of those words. You're talking about the same thing. And fighting, that's very important. If you come out and you look for that perfect shot, it's very different than if you throw an ugly shot, but there's got one behind it, one behind that, one behind that. I used to tell guys this before I would fight them. I tell them, the here's the good news. The first punch I throw might miss. Here's the bad news. There's going to be six more coming right behind it. That was my that was my saying for a period of time. But it was also because I understood I wasn't a technical guy. I was chaos. So I just, when I look at Colby, I know what I'm I know what I'm looking at. I know what I'm talking about. So I'm the same guy. Fought the same way. Can Masvidal stop a takedown? You bet your ass he can. Can he stop a takedown followed by a takedown followed by followed by a takedown? No, it's different. MMA wrestlers that have a good career will come out there and they'll take a shot. The greats use that shot to set up the second shot. They use the second shot to set up the third shot. It's called chain wrestling. It is the one thing that a wrestler will, lo will lose. You heard the expression, riding a bike. Once you learn to do it, you can never forget. Wrestling, you will forget. 100%. And the only way that you can chain wrestle with an MMA is if you amateur wrestle within the practice room, and Colby still does. I know how good Masvidal is at stopping takedowns because I saw Kamara Usman versus Masvidal part one. I've heard Kamara Usman as recently as 72 hours ago speaking about how damn hard George is to take down. The difference, and the only, and this is slight, we're splitting hairs here, but the only difference that Usman is missing is Usman would take one shot at a time. And Colby will use that one shot just to get close to set up his second shot. He'll use that second shot to change the angle and drive you over with the third shot. It's different. It's a different level of wrestling. And yes, I do think that George Moswell's a pain in the ass to take down. And I do think Colby's going to have to learn to burn a lot of calories to do it. But the way that Colby fights that high volume, and it's the same way that Kamar Usman started to have his success. Kamar Usman was feeling out. He was very nice in his first round with Masvidal. He was not so nice in rounds three, four, and five. Once he got warmed up, once he started that put, using that pressure, just to follow up with more pressure. It's a very different contest. It's not, it's not a question of who's the better wrestler. It comes down to who's going to be the more effective wrestler. Which is why you don't see a lot of our Olympians, a lot of our NCAA champions, a lot of our world medalists coming over to MMA and taking over the way that they used to do. It's why you see guys that don't even wrestle. Makhlchev, Nurmagomedov, St. Pierre. It's why you see these guys that don't even have singlets and headgear, don't even own a pair of wrestling shoes, have never entered a bracket no international medals or competition. It's why you see them more effective. 
They do it in the practice room. They understand space. They understand what's slippery. You try to wrestle a guy. You want, you want to know a great tip. If you ever go into a wrestling room, I'll tell you guys a huge tip right now. If you ever go into a wrestling room and you don't belong there, say you forgot your shoes. Walk on the mat barefoot. The best wrestler in the room will not take you down. The state champion, the guy that got a full ride to call it, he will not take you down. If he doesn't have the friction of a shoe to grab a hole, he won't be able to take you down. You could walk in there with junior high skills and go with Olympians, but just say you forgot your shoes. You will start to learn the difference between competitive wrestling and MMA wrestling. So as I pick Colby, this is a hard fight, guys, between two guys that don't know each other. Colby Covington is going to get his ass kicked, for sure. George Masvidal is going to beat his ass. Colby's going to beat George's ass even worse. That's what I'm picking. I don't believe that Masvidal wins a round. But I believe Masvidal is competitive in every single round. I believe Colby's going to be bleeding. I believe his eye's going to be swollen and his nose is going to be broken. I just happen to think Colby knows that. That's the one thing that the familiarity does bring you. This is going to be the opposite of every friend versus friend match, every teammate versus team match you've ever seen. They are not going to go out there with a defensive posture, knowing what's coming from their opponent because they used to work out with him. It's, that's not the case. It's a different weight class. Different coaches, cornermen, training camps, facilities. In a different time. Three years is very meaningful. This is the sitting reigning BMF champion versus the interim champion who never lost his belt. This is as close to a true super fight that you can possibly bring us. There's no part of me that's telling you this is going to be easy. But I'm giving you a prediction. And I predict at the end of the night, the victor is going to be Colby Covington. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review like this one from Phil, who says Uncle Chael is the most entertaining. Well, thank you, Phil. And thanks to all of you for listening. Enjoy UFC 272, and I promise I will be back here on Wednesday to talk to you about it all. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>